Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you are blessed by today's sermon. Would you pray with me? And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each and every one of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As we explore these passages uh, this week, I want to begin uh, with the gospel. And I, I want to take note of something really extraordinary that we see take place here in Matthew chapter 14. That we are able to see both natures of our Lord and Savior at work. We begin with his humanity, with his realization that his friend, his co-worker in ministry, his cousin, John the Baptist, is dead. Uh, this has heavy significance for Jesus on a number of levels. He's, he's lost somebody he loves and cares a great deal about. He knows he has other loved ones that are also in grief. But it's also a tremendous turning point in his ministry. We know that John the Baptist came to set the way for the Messiah. And so John led the way going first into public ministry to prepare people to hear the public teaching of Jesus. And now John has gone first into death as Jesus will eventually go himself. This is a massive moment in the earthly life and ministry of Jesus. It is a heavy burden. It is something that he felt, must have felt deeply within himself. And so, as he does in other places in the scripture, he separates himself. He wants to get away from it, to get to a quiet place, and, and to begin to take stock and reconcile all that has gone on. And yet, when he needed that respite and that, that opportunity, the crowds follow. And here we see the divine nature of Jesus come forth, his likeness to his father. Now, this crowd had come there with all good intentions, but even so, they are, they are breaking in to his solitude and his retreat. Nobody could begrudge Jesus if his reaction to them had been anger, but it wasn't. His reaction to the crowd was compassion and love. Because he is God from God, light from light, true God from true God. And just as God the Father showed love and compassion, even on people who deserved wrath in our Old Testament readings, so God the Son chooses compassion here. This shows who he is and how much he loves I also want to point out something else about this passage that's interesting. The crowd in this particular story has found themselves stranded in a wilderness, in the desert, in difficult circumstances, doing the right thing. We're supposed to follow Jesus. And yet in following Jesus, they have put themselves into a bind by the time the day begins to draw to an end. They are not prepared and they are not supplied for where they find themselves. That too is a significant lesson for you and I. It is a reminder to us that you can do all the right things. You can be obedient to God. You can set out with the best of intentions and still find yourself in difficult circumstances. This is what Paul is telling us in Romans, that our relationship 
with God that our value as disciples is not measured by our circumstances. And that even when times are tough and everything is going wrong and we are facing persecution, mistreatment, hard times, even death itself, God is with us compassionately in the wilderness. But it's also a touchstone because it harkens back that these Israelites who now have followed Jesus into this wilderness are not unlike their ancestors who had followed Moses into the wilderness. And though they sinned and though God had to discipline them for 40 years, and though they grumbled and complained, God was with them and sustained them and fed them. And the same way that God the Father did that in the desert for the Israelites of old, so God the Son does for these Israelites who have followed him into the hills on that day. And this reminds us that we do serve one God who is the same age to age. That, that he is about the same work from cover to cover in our scripture and beyond. It is so important for us to remember when we go through times of being in a wilderness that God is with us. We're, we're in one now, aren't we? There's a pandemic running wild. People are getting sick. People are dying. Different doctors are arguing with each other. What is the best thing to do? Politicians are fighting with each other. What do we do? Do we open the schools or not? Can we have an election or not? There's so much anxiety going along. Then we have an economic crisis triggered by the recession. And oh, by the way, for those of us living out here in Midland and Odessa, we already had an oil bust before all this happened anyway. It's easy to begin to think that God has forsaken us in times like this. So in moments like this, we, we need to remember that in our own wilderness today, as in the wilderness in Matthew 14, as in the wilderness in the book of Exodus, that God is still with us and he is still compassionate. That doesn't mean he's going to wipe away all of our struggles and problems. It, it, it didn't mean that the 40 years in the desert wasn't going to happen to the Israelites. And it doesn't mean that all of our problems are just going to magically go away because we come to church and sing Kumbaya together. But it does mean, as Paul reminds us in Romans, that regardless of the worldly circumstances, God is with us. And we see that in the compassion of Jesus. That the love of God abides in our darkest and most difficult times. It's also interesting too when we read the passage that his disciples are also compassionate for the people, but they've got a very different solution for the problems of the people than Jesus does, right? So the disciples look at the crowd and they begin to do the mental math and the calculation and they realize they've got a lot of hungry people in front of them and they don't have the resources to feed them. So the reaction is to send them away. That their, their impulse is to recognize that there is a need, but because they don't feel like they can meet the need, that the compassionate thing to do is to push them somewhere else. And this is an understandable and a human reaction. I'm sure we've all been in the situation when we knew there was somebody that needed help, but we just didn't feel equipped to do it. And sometimes the right thing to do is to pass them along to somebody else who can help them. But Jesus doesn't let them off the hook. 
when they go to him and they say, Jesus, look, these people are going to get hungry. It's getting late. We don't have the resources for them. You need to send them to town so they can buy food. Jesus responds, no, they don't need to go anywhere. You guys are going to fix this, right? It's a reminder to us that sometimes we make the mistake of treating charity and ministry as if they're synonyms. Now, don't get me wrong. Charity is a marvelous thing, and it can be a mode of ministry. But see, charity is when somebody has a lack and you have an abundance, and so you are able to help that person from a position of abundance, right? And that's a good thing to do when we can. But that's not the only form of ministry God calls us to. He certainly does call us to charity. I believe that God loves and encourages charity. But sometimes God asks us to minister to people, not out of our abundance, but out of our lack. Let's be honest, when we get further down the passage, there's not a whole lot of food on hand with any of the crowd. Not really enough for all the disciples. And think about these numbers. We're told that there are 5,000 men plus women and children beside. So, I don't know, 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 people. And they have five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, I want you to imagine that God has called a crowd to occupy Grande Stadium. And then he sends you in to feed the crowd with five tuna fish sandwiches from Subway. That is not a job I want to sign up for. If we only answer the call to help people when we can minister out of an abundance, when we can do an act of charity, then we may be missing opportunities when God puts it on our heart to help people. Sometimes we get into that mode of thinking, somebody ought to do something, but we've already decided that we can't. As many better preachers than I have observed, it's in those moments that God will remind us that when we think somebody ought to do something, that the scripture says we are somebody. Sometimes the most powerful forms of ministry happen when people who are just as in need as the people being helped. Let God use them. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon once quipped that after all, evangelism is nothing more than one beggar telling another where to find bread. So what do we do with this story? What do we do with this idea that we may be called to show compassion on people who find themselves in a wilderness when we don't have the resources? What do we do when the needs are bigger than our own human capacity? What do we do when the price of oil has robbed our ability to perform acts of charity? What do we do when our own mental and emotional resources are spent and so we can't be that voice of comfort to other people? Well, the answer is that we take whatever we've got and we gather the people together and we bring them to Jesus. We bring them to his table. Which leads me to another observation of this passage. Isn't this a picture of our Eucharistic table? The church provides bread and wine. It, it, it comes through the donations in the plate. It, somebody goes out and they buy it. It comes up to the altar. The, the, the priests consecrate it. But it's Jesus who makes it a sustaining meal. 
The truth is that there's nothing magic about the wafers we buy and the bottles of wine. But there's something miraculous about the presence of Jesus that comes into this place when we gather together. And we realize that what we really need is to feast on him and that he's enough and that he can provide. Brothers and sisters, we are in trying times. The desert is real. The desolation is real. The danger is real. And I wish I had earthly answers for you. I wish I could tell you when a vaccine would be created. I wish I could tell you when the Dow Jones and the NASDAQ would bounce up. I wish I could tell you that West Texas Intermediate was going to be at $75 a barrel by next week. I wish I could tell you that either Donald Trump or Joe Biden could fix everything for us. I can't tell you any of those things. I can't tell you how long this will last. I can't tell you when our earthly measures of good days will get back to where we want them to be. But I can tell you this. Here in the wilderness, Jesus is with us. Here in the wilderness, he provides the bread and wine that we need to feast on. If you don't know him, now is the time to draw near. And if you do know him, now is the time to tell others. You may feel ill-equipped. You may say to yourself that you are no evangelist and you are no preacher and you are no great teacher and you don't feel guilted and you don't feel cold. You've never been to seminary. You don't feel a call to ordination. But remember, this is just one beggar telling another where to find bread. May God help you lead others to this blessed table. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.